in the in our studio right now, Secretary of State uh, Randy Daniels, who was given the position of having to try to coordinate all of the state agencies' response, obviously dealing with the federal government, because, again, uh, we didn't know where our president was. We didn't know where the vice president was. And naturally, with all the city officials, uh, Randy, what do you remember about that day and the awesome responsibility that you were tasked with to try to sort of connect all of these various agencies to respond quickly? The critical thing was leadership. Governor Pataki is an exceptional leader, and it was on full display from the moment the crisis began. And so the lesson I take away from that, leadership is essential. Vision is essential. Uh, Uniting people around a common purpose is absolutely critical in a country like ours, and Governor Pataki did that day in and day out. The other thing that uh, I remember as we walked through the streets together, how people responded to Governor Pataki's leadership. I mean, where else in America can you see a politician walking down the street being applauded by people, being applauded by people because of the way he led us through that crisis? His instructions to me, were very clear, and Governor Pataki is always clear. He said, I want you, Randy, to get the city whatever they need. He says, I don't want any BS. I don't want any red tape. If they need it, you get it. And if you have a problem, you talk to me. That is clear and decisive leadership because there were so many things to respond to. The other thing is that, you know, Governor Pataki united us as a city and as a state and ultimately as a country around our common and shared values as Americans. And that is sorely absent in the darkness that we are in today. And so uh, my sense is that Governor Pataki sets the model for the kind of leadership that we need and that we will need going forward. Uh, we have to look look forward. We can't continue to look back in this country because there's too much to argue and fight about. But let's talk about the future. I'm a grandfather now. I think about what kind of life I want for my grandson and for my granddaughter who's on the way and who'll be here in January. And so leadership matters to me. Integrity matters to me. Uh, uniting the American people around common values instead of this culture of nihilism that we have today, where everything is questioned, nobody believes anything anymore. Uh, and I just, I, I think that is a wholesale assault on America at the end of the day, because, yes, we've had problems. Yes, we stumbled out of the box as a country. Yes, uh, there's plenty to complain about, but there's also a great deal to be proud of. When I travel the world, Curtis, people ask me, Randy, why do you love America so much? And I've always said, because we can change our leaders. Can you? And usually the answer is no. Mm. So leadership matters, and uh, we need leaders who will give us a vision for the country, uh, one that we can all rally around, instead of finding ways to divide us. It seems to me that so many people get up every morning finding new ways to divide the American people. We need leaders who can unite us. 
And this is a classic example of what was necessary uh, and how you do it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the governor's plans are. Uh, and you know I'm never political on 9-11. But when I look at him, I see a leader. No, there's no no doubt. Uh, Governor Pataki. Randy, thank you. Curtis, I just, uh, what Randy said struck me about one thing, and that was walking the streets of New York. And I remember that evening. Randy, myself, my daughter Emily, and Colonel Weiss went down to the pile. And it was still, it burned for months. And the smoke was rising. You could taste the air. It was full of uh, vaporized uh, building or papers or whatever. Uh, and, you know, he talks about my leadership, but I'll tell you, looking at those firefighters on that burning pile, looking at the construction workers who weren't ordered there, they came there voluntarily cutting through that twisted steel, trying to save lives, looking at how people from every walk of life rushed to try to help. Now, that's leadership. And when you want to be inspired, yeah, you can look to a political leader, but I looked to that evening. And to those construction workers, those EMTs, those firefighters, those police officers, they're the ones who inspire me. And I think if we can look beyond our too often failing political leadership and look at the greatness of the people when they come together, there's no reason we can't believe in a much, much brighter tomorrow. Now, question for the both of you. Uh, I was on air 12 straight hours because, remember, when the towers came down, there was no TV. It was one of those times in our life where TV was not relevant. People could not get news and information from TV. They were dependent on radio. So people would, if they didn't have a radio, would stop and listen to a, a car radio or they get they had batteries in their uh, terrestrial radio for emergency situations, and they were forced to listen to us. It was difficult because we didn't have a stream of information. We had to actually debunk a lot of misinformation that was flying around and frightening people. But I remember after 12 straight hours on the radio, I then went down, uh, had to walk down because basically everything was in lockdown. Uh, I met some guardian angels there. We started to roam about, and I noticed that there was really no presence of the federal government yet. People were just randomly walking in and around the pile, and there's nothing there's Nothing, no pictures, no video that could ever equal what you saw, what I saw, what other people experienced. But it had to take a lot of coordination because people were walking around all over the place and in a very dangerous situation because, remember, at that point, engineers feared that any kind of vibration, if it was from any kind of equipment used to extricate the rubble, might cause the other surrounding uh, buildings also to come down. How long did it take? all the agencies to get it together, to put up the fence, to then give out the cards that you had to have in order to have access, because at first it was like organized mayhem, as you described it, all for the positive. But eventually there had to be that coordination. And any time you have government and all the bureaucracy, sometimes that can take quite a long time. I'll tell you, Curtis, the NYPD was obviously stretched to the hilt. So we brought in the National Guard and the state police. And the state police first task was to create a security corridor to control who went to Lower Manhattan. And the National Guard was helping with that. Uh, another thing that we had to do is we were overwhelmed with volunteers from all over the country, from all over the world. And you couldn't have people just going down there and trying to climb onto the pile. So we created a volunteer coordination center at the Javits Center where we'd organize who was going to go down there. But 
you know, uh, was it perfect? Absolutely not. Was it extremely well done? Yeah, for sure, because we did get the state police. We did get the National Guard. We did control who went down there. And I should probably make a citizen's arrest for you sneaking down there that, that <laughs> evening without permission. But but I'll let it slide for now. Now, a question, because uh, many of the men and women who ran down there, they didn't have hazmat suits. They didn't have masks, gloves. It was none of that like we were used to in the uh, in the aftermath of the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020. And so they took all risk. And then after a while, federal government was giving us mixed messages about being on that pile day in, day out. I remember being down there. It was the world's largest crematorium. The smell of death was everywhere. And as you pointed out, the toxic smell of the chemicals, the, the the burning that continued underneath the rubble. What was done wrong there? Because years later, when we tried to appeal to other elected officials around the country for additional funds to care for all those men and women who became ill, at first it was like extracting teeth. They didn't want to give the money. It was like, it's your problem. It's not there. What, what coordinated effort transpired to suddenly get all those officials to scrape the barnacles off their backside and recognize it. this was an American attack, not just an attack on New York City. Well, it was about the health, and it was also about getting aid. Uh, you know, we weren't going to be able to rebuild lower Manhattan. We lost literally 20 million square feet of office space was either destroyed or damaged. We had no no power, no water, no sewer in lower Manhattan uh, for for well over a week. And we needed aid from the federal government. I remember going down to Washington and having senators tell me, you know, hey, this isn't our problem. You know, yeah, sorry about it, you know, but we're not going to help. But ultimately, I'll tell you, uh, President Bush was great on this. Uh, and the Senate leadership, I met with um, uh, the, the House Speaker at the time, the Senate Majority Leader at the time, who was from Tennessee, I forget it, uh, uh, his name, but they were just great. Uh, and and Senator Grassley was the chairman of appropriations from Iowa. He said, we're going to get you whatever we, you need. And ultimately, they came through with the $20 billion that allowed us to rebuild lower Manhattan and rebuild New York's economy, which was dying at the time. On the health thing, federal government actually said the air was safe, and, and it wasn't. Uh, and I think... Now, certainly, everybody knows the air wasn't safe. But I'll tell you, they give you a mask. And I remember going down to Ground Zero so many times, and they give you a mask. You couldn't breathe through it. So you just take it off, you know. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to do was to encourage the workers, the firefighters and everything. And I didn't want to be giving them a hug wearing a mask. So you just don't, you just didn't do it. And the health consequences we've seen are enormous. And finally, thank God, uh, Cooler heads prevailed, and there is now the, the, the funding for people who have been uh, at illness as a result of that. But, uh, you know, it ended up fine. It was a struggle, but better to struggle and get the right result than to give up and not. Well, it's the day that changed our lives forever, and New York's news talk leader right here at WABC, we've proven that we will never forget, not just during uh, the course of our normal programming 365 days of the year, but especially over the last 72 hours when we've been going round the clock. 77 WABC has joined the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for the special day of tribute today, September 11, 2022. Tunnel to Towers Foundation, 9-11 Remembrance, remembering 9-11 21 years later on 77 WABC. When we return... 
We'll speak with then Lieutenant Governor, Lieutenant Colonel of the New York State Police, Daniel Weiss, who was on that pile when uh, Bush 43, our president, went up there with that bullhorn. And boy, that was a moment that really united us. But before he even got on that pile, I know from others who were with the president at that time, he was unsure of how he would be received uh, in New York City and especially at Ground Zero. All right here on 77 WABC. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 